Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you today. I hope you're glad you're here uh, in the house of God with God's people. And we are this morning diving back in uh, to our study of Paul's letter to the Christ followers who lived in Rome. And it's going to be a reconnection to this after a seven-week summer break. Uh, If you've been with us through uh, the beginning of this year, the first few months of this year, uh, so far we have taken 16 weeks to study the first uh, five-plus chapters of Romans. And we have been learning together so much massive truth from Paul during this time. It's like I think we've been walking through the sequoias. You know, you're there on the forest floor and you're looking up all around you at these tall, tall trees. And and so today to just help us, I think, connect, reconnect with the flow of Paul's thought, um, I have felt led to do something that's a little bit different than I would typically do. We're gonna be kind of, if you can think of it this way, elevating up above the trees. Think of a drone, you know, that goes up above the trees. And we're gonna take a look at the forest. We're even gonna go kind of high enough, maybe 10,000 feet. So we're getting a big, big, big picture view. And, and we're gonna look back um, at Romans one through five, these chapters we've covered. But I, I'm not just gonna rehearse um, and go through the things we've talked about. Uh, I want to go back to some of those things, but I want to do with you some very careful thinking uh, about some larger issues in our lives and in this world. And I want to ask you to ask yourself if you are truly receiving, truly integrating, truly living out what Paul is teaching I'm calling this message today the story of reality. I borrowed the title from a book. I don't know if any of you have read it, Um, but the story of reality because Paul really is teaching us in Romans about the true nature of reality. It's so important for us to hear because this is more than just spiritual truth for Sundays for people who are religious. What a lot of people think. This is not what we're talking about here, a true for you, subjective kind of faith that, you know, certain sort of uh, insecure people cling to because they don't really understand the way the world works. This is about how the universe actually works, what is truly real, what is reality. And so I'm going to be asking you to really be reflective and be honest with yourself and think about your own mind, your own life. Think hard about this question. What is my picture of reality? What is my actual picture of reality? And maybe you've never thought about this before. I mean, I do think that all of us, right? Can we do a hand raise on this? We all wanna live in reality. Who wants to live in reality? Like it's one of the worst things that you can tell someone or say about someone, right? They are out of touch with reality. We don't, we don't wanna be that person. But what is reality? And how do you know? See, part of what makes this whole issue pretty complex is that there are many competing versions of reality that are all around us, and all of them are trying to persuade us and capture our minds and capture our hearts and capture our allegiances. And what I, what I want you to see this morning is that Romans is giving us the deep reality of the universe that should instruct our minds and make our hearts sing. 
and give direction to our lives day by day by day. And one of my prayers for our study through Romans is that God would be causing, as we go through this book, his true story of reality to become your story of reality. See, I've been praying that as we see and as we think about the realities of God and humanity and sin and Jesus and and judgment and, and life, the way that Paul teaches them that we would see these realities and take them into our minds and take them into our hearts and allow these realities to reinterpret and and reshape our reality, how we see everything. Our marriages and our families, our singleness, our work, our money our politics, our moral convictions. Because Romans, you see, is this this massive, all-encompassing, life-changing story of reality. And we might miss seeing it if we're not careful. See, the reality is, (laughs) it's very easy to fail to integrate our lives around God's story of reality. And many people will say they believe the biblical story of reality, but they actually live in a different reality. You know what I'm talking about? And we all, I think, face the danger of affirming God's word with our lips, but not with our lives. And, and when we do this, the result always is going to be some kind of this, I'll call it a gap. It's interesting that many people who don't believe, and maybe even some of you here today, already see God as like this God of the gaps, this God who's disconnected, unrelated to our daily lives. And uh, God of the gaps is like this God that we invent as an explanation for gaps in our understanding. Like we, we look out at the world and we see something that we, we don't understand and we can't explain. And so we say, well, God must have done that. You know, ancient primitive people used to do that all the time. Like they'd look at the weather and you know, they don't understand weather patterns. So they say, there's got to be a God of weather and he controls the weather and you know, and so once you go down in history a few centuries and you start understanding atmospheric pressure and cold fronts and, and tropical storms named Hillary, you know, then you don't need that God anymore because science fills the gap. And many people today believe that the God of the Bible is like that. He's a God of the gaps and he has been disappearing for centuries now, little by little by little as we grow in our scientific knowledge about psychology and sociology and medicine and nutrition. You know, we don't need him anymore. And there's a lot of people today who will say, you know, I don't really believe in God. I, uh, we heard this a lot the last few years. I trust in the science. You ever notice that? I believe the science. See, that word, that idea is still there. They forget, I think, (laughs) that the scientific method that undergirds science as we know it today actually grew out of a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview. It didn't come to fruition in any other culture, but one that was undergirded by Christianity. And there's some really significant reasons for that. I don't have time for that this morning, but uh, we can maybe talk about it later. But there's really no inherent conflict between the God who created all things and the science that studies his creation. But then, as I think about this, there's also a kind of Christian version of this God of the gaps. And 
It's really reality. It's true. It happens. Sometimes people who profess faith in Jesus, Jesus kind of end up thinking just practically in their lives, well, you know, God deals with my sin, my, my guilt, my fears. God gives me peace and hope for eternity. But, you know, he's not really that relevant to the rest of my life, to my work, you know, like you'll even say, people say to people like me sometimes, well, pastor, I live in the real world as if pastors don't. (laughs) I know some of you think that we just live up here where the angels fly around all the time at the church, but we don't. It's real here. It gets real all the time. But that's how people think. It's not, it's not really real. What's out there is what's really real. And so they get this kind of idea, actually, that God is for in here, but not for out there. And, and as a result, you know, this God who he takes care of my spiritual gaps, he takes care of my emotional gaps. Sometimes I hope he takes care of my money gaps. But it's like my job to take care of the rest of my life. My job to decide what I'm going to do with the life that I live in the real world, whether or not I'm going to follow whatever my culture is thinking or, or doing. And as a result, a lot of professing Christ followers end up living lives that are not integrated with God's story of reality. And when that happens, inevitably what we end up looking like is what the world looks like. We adopt and we live out the story the world is telling. And so sometimes our idea of reality, our picture of reality, the way we see the story, it just ends up getting shaped more by the world than by God's word. And I just want to say, and I hope you understand that God does not intend his story of reality to just be for Sundays and your quiet times in the morning with your coffee. He wants every moment of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year and decade of the entire life that you live to be shaped by who he is and what he says. Now, some of us may have never considered something here that's crucial to grasp. And I want to put it out there. Maybe you can write it down and think about it. But everyone understands life out of a story of reality. We all have a story that we are understanding life to be uh, made up of. This is true whether you follow Jesus or not. This is true whether you have any religious faith or not. In fact, I'll just say it this way. It's not possible to live life without a picture of reality. And I, I want you to listen really carefully. This is so important because I know a lot of you don't really grasp this right now. But there's a lot of us in our culture because the culture has pounded this into us who think that secular culture, you know, stuff without religion, that's like a neutral. And then all the religious stuff orbits around that. That is profoundly false, not true. Everybody has a story of reality. There is no story of the world that is completely built on on something objective without any interpretation. Every story involves belief or faith. Even the story that people says come from science. And so whether we realize it or not, we all have a picture we're all living according to a story in our minds of what is most real. Everyone is, is living by faith commitments to what they believe 
is most real. Now, how do we know what that is? Well, scholars have written some, a number of different books uh, subject, on this subject matter, and, and um, different scholars and theologians have divided this up in different ways, but I want to kind of use this one model, and it's by answering some questions. And I have four questions that I think reveal our picture of reality that I'd like you to think about. And I'm gonna give them to you and then we're gonna go back and, and talk about what they are. But here's the first one. The, the first question is whose story are we living in? in? In other words, where did the universe come from and why are we here and, and who decides right and wrong? Second question is what's wrong with the world? And this is a question everybody asks, right? Because we all know something's wrong. Like, is there anybody here who thinks there's nothing wrong? It's all good out there. <laughs> yeah, that's laughable. <laughs> we all know, everybody knows, you don't have to be a Christian to know something is wrong with the world. And you know, there's, you look around, there's so much beauty in the world, but there's also so much brokenness. And here's the thing, the only way we can deal with the world's brokenness is if we actually know what's wrong. Third question, what do we do with evil? We, we all see evil, right, all around us. We see it personally. We, we see it globally. Can evil be defeated? Is justice actually possible? And if so, how? And then the fourth question is, who am I? This is the identity question. What does it mean to be human? And is it possible to live as a human being and have purpose and hope and meaning in this world? Like, where do I fit in? And so there's these four questions, and we are all everyone in the world born into cultures that have answers to these questions preloaded. They're just there. And so we absorb the answers to these questions throughout life, most of the time without even thinking. It starts through our families of origin and our experiences in life. When we go to school, our teachers give us a story of reality, educational systems. Now today, media is so pervasive. Media shapes uh, of all kinds, shapes how we see reality, whether it's Netflix or movies or podcasts or TikTok videos, you know, which is actually the repository of all truth and wisdom. So you should get that app. Not really, okay? Just in case you're not sure. We don't, we don't have to read books even to get those answers. We, we just kind of breathe it in as we live and we end up assuming a story of reality along with everyone else and we don't often realize what our story is until we're confronted with an alternate take on reality. We also often don't see that a culture shifts. Their, their culture's answers to these kind of questions change. You realize if you just look objectively at our world right now that so many people in our culture today believe things they, didn't even, they hadn't even heard of just 10 years ago. And now you can't not believe those things because our story of reality has shifted. So how do we know what's the true story of reality? What's really reality? And what's, what are these alternate stories that aren't true? So you just need to be thinking like this. You need also to understand is that all of us are constantly being discipled. This is a world we live in where our culture is always telling us a story of reality. And again, whether you're a believer or not, you're always being discipled, taught, trained to see the world and ourselves in a particular way. Everyone is a disciple to someone or something. 
And this is so vital for Christ followers to see because when our picture of reality, again, as I said, is not sufficiently shaped and strengthened by God's revealed reality in his word, it will by default be shaped by the world and the culture in which we live. It's inescapable. That's why some people have called, you know, the internet search bar, the spiritual battleground of our day. There are so many opportunities out there to wander and, and too often we just kind of browse and we take stuff in and we don't realize how it's shaping our understanding of reality. See, nothing is neutral. I mean, I'm not neutral. I'm not saying that I am. I'm not neutral at, as your pastor. I, I know that, um, but I am right. <laughs> Thank you, darling. I believe I'm right, not because of anything in me, but because I trust in the word of God. And I believe his word is telling us this true story of reality. So we just need to know we're always being discipled. There are people trying to teach us and movements trying to shape us. So you're, some of you are saying, well, what are some of these <laughs> examples of other stories that I, you're talking about. Could you, could you give me an example, Pastor Mike? Okay, how about two, real quick, just two. The first one is expressive individualism. We've talked about this a time or two in the message, but it's really kind of right now, the reigning popular culture story of reality in this moment. And if you look at this, this idea, so let's just go through the question, whose story is it? And Expressive individualism says, it's my story. It's all about me. See, expressive individualism, evangelism, <laughs> try to say that real fast, has its own kind of scriptures that say things like, you be you and be true to yourself and follow your heart and find your identity. What's wrong with the world according to this? Well, traditions and religions and social constructs that that restrict individual freedom and self-expression and authenticity. That's the problem in the world. And a lot of us kind of think in these ways. What do we do with evil? Well, we tear down those traditions and we, we, we provide unfettered freedom for people to do whatever they, they want to do to express their truest self. Well, who am I? Well, I am someone who determines my own reality. This is expressive individual. In fact, I, I came across what I think is kind of a quintessential, if extreme, uh, quote, expression of this. It comes from that book, The Secret. It was real popular about 15 years ago. And uh, this is what kind of the end sum total of where this goes, what, what it says. Here, here's this quote, The Secret. You are God in a physical body. You are spirit in the flesh. You are eternal life expressing itself as you. You are a cosmic being. And now it's going to get funny, kind of really. You are all power. You are all wisdom. You are all intelligence. You are perfection. You are magnificence. Why don't you turn to the person right now, look them in the eye and say, you are magnificence without laughing. It goes on to say, you are the creator and you are creating the creation of you on this planet. That's the end of where this story of reality goes. Um, do you understand that we are the very first culture in the entire history 
of this planet that has ever thought that you can self-create your own identity. No people anywhere has ever thought that. How's that working out for us? Well, this is a picture of reality and many of us live according to that story at times at least. Here's another one, uh, evolutionary materialism. It's kind of the science story. Um, you know, uh, uh, Neil deGrasse, uh, deGrasse Tyson once, or was it him who said, the cosmos is all there is and all there ever will be? No, that's Carl Sagan. So I sometimes forget my notes, you know. Some famous guy said that, you all heard it. Well, that's kind of what this is. And so whose story is this according to evolutionary materialism? No one's story. There's not a story. Do you realize when you say there's not a story, that's actually a kind of a story? It's just random chance. It's just accidental collisions of chemicals. What's wrong with the world? Nothing. It just is what it is. That's really what you have to land on if you believe this. Um, what do we do with evil? What evil? How can evil objectively exist in a universe governed by random chance? You have no rational reason to say that something is good or bad. Who am I? Well, you're a random accident. In fact, uh, Richard Dawkins, one of the kind of high priests of this, uh, of this, what I will call faith, writes this in one of his books. He says, in a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt and other people are going to get lucky and you won't find any rhyme or reason to it nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. That's a story of the world. Some people live according to it. And what I'm really asking us today are, is this question, is that, are these the stories we want to live by are they good stories? Do they make sense of the world as we, we see it? Do they help us understand really what human beings are and what the true ultimate problem in this world is and what the solutions are and how we can you know, fix things? And the answer biblically is absolutely not. Yes, there is some truth in some of these stories, but mostly massive error. And I just wanna make sure that we as a people are not unwittingly absorbing these views of reality because we've been discipled to accept them and it's so easy for us to slide into those stories and not even know we need to reorient ourselves and reshape ourselves and let the word of God tell us what reality is. It's the only truth that really is there that gives us the true story of reality. And when we get the story wrong, it impacts our lives in so many ways. Let's ask those four questions from Romans now with that background in mind. Here's the first question. Whose story are we living in? What does Paul say? Well, I would say that Paul sums up God's story of reality for us in Romans 1, 16 and 17. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it, the righteousness of God is made, is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. 
So Romans 1 through 5, in fact, the entire book and the entire Bible assumes that God alone is the personal, intelligent, powerful, good creator and sustainer of the universe. And that's why we're calling this series the gospel of God because it's about God. Romans is about God's good news. And our, our conception of reality begins and ends with God because if you get God wrong, we get reality wrong. This is his story. It's not our story. It's not God of the gaps. It's the living God by whom, through whom, and for whom all things were made. The God who is the source of life and truth and right and wrong and meaning and joy and beauty and laughter and dancing and hope and joy. It's his story. He's the source of all good. And he's not only good, he's entirely powerful to affect that good. And he's not only powerful, he is infinitely wise to bring about always the right things in the right time, in the right way. And he has made us in his image to know him and belong to him and love him and become more and more like him as we find our lives in him. And this tells us that reality, it's not out of control like it feels sometimes. Your life is not an accident like it feels sometimes. History is going somewhere. It has a purpose. Even our suffering has a purpose in his hands. And, and the most amazing news of all, and we're gonna get to this more as we keep going in Romans, is that this God, he's 100% for us in Jesus. And he promises that he will fulfill his purposes for us and the universe. And if you believe that, your life should be flooded with hope. We're not random carbon blobs that accidentally became highly organized worshipers. We are created in God's image, male and female, and therefore have infinite value and an eternal future at stake. Do you see how different that is? It's such a different life that we exist. The reason we exist is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And if there is no God, then our longing to make sense of the world has no foundation. In fact, it doesn't even make sense. Why would you even try? It's just an imaginary thing. If there's no God, there's no objective basis for moral good, you know, or evil. You can't know what's true and what's false. It's just a human construct, nothing more. And that ends up meaning, and some philosophers have gone here with this. That means our loves, our joys, our, our griefs are all just random parts of this world. and They have no meaning. Our pursuit of justice in this world, it's just an illusion and a waste of time. And some people around you think that. And if there's no truth, then there's no meaning then why bother? That's a logical conclusion for that story. We would say, though, when we miss God, that means we end up missing everything that's worth living for. God is the centerpiece of reality. If we get God wrong, we get reality wrong. And this means for us that, as disciples that we should be intentional about forming our hearts Forming our hearts to be God-word, focused to him, to be God-centered, to be God-satisfied. Do you understand your heart is dynamic, it's not static? It never stays like in the same place. We need to take our hearts by the hand every day and take an active role in directing our hearts Godward and think about his greatness 
so that we will love him more. And the more we love him, friends, here's good news. The more we love him, the more we get set free from bondage to earthly mindedness, the things that really truly hold us back and cause us so many griefs and so much pain. Now, none of this, in case you're wondering, means that we don't care about what's happening around us. We take the world seriously because it's God's creation, but we care more about his glories and his worth and his beauties and that anchors us and makes us stronger and the more we put our trust in the God of glory, the, the, the more our lives change. See, as we're living in this world that's under bondage to sin, we know the world is not as it should be because that's not what God created it to be. We're gonna trust God to work through us, to make whatever we can right in his time and in his way. But we always do those things knowing it's his story. He is on the throne. That's the first reality. It's God's story. But then there's the second question, which we're always asking all the time. What's wrong with the world? What does Paul tell us? Well, as I said before, we all recognize the world is broken Um, I have never heard anyone say everything's okay, but people do disagree about the cause. And what Paul reveals in Romans is that a lack of authenticity and inequality, um, those things are not the root cause of what's wrong with the world. They are all symptoms of a deeper problem of what's wrong. Romans one through three in particular teach that the most fundamental problem in the universe is that we as image bearers are by nature in rebellion against our creator. We are sinners by nature and sinners by choice and we have fallen short of his glory and therefore we deserve our creator's just judgment. Romans 3, 22 and 23 says, there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, at its heart, sin decenters God. It puts us in the center of the story, not God. At its heart, you might say sin de-gods God. It rejects his rule over our lives so that we can sit on the throne of our lives. And that's why Paul says in Romans 1 verse 25, we have exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And we worship the creature rather than the creator. Paul's just saying that, when, that, that sin is, is when we love and value and treasure creation over God the creator. And that's what leads to all forms of sin. When we, we, we do that, the great Puritan theologian John Owen once wrote, placing our love on anything before God or above God is a formal expression of our apostasy from him. And it's such an indictment on our culture that we have a hard time getting worked up about sin. Even a lot of us that are in the church, we've so normalized it. We don't really think that it's a big deal that people look at God, the most important being in the universe and go, eh. We don't think it's a big deal that some people look at God, the most important being in the universe, and they give him a salute that I can't really give up here as your pastor. We don't think that's that big a deal. So sin is ultimately a resistance to finding our deepest joy and identity and hope and life in God. And, and Paul says that resistance to God results in a mind that's darkened. 
And, and that mind suppresses the truth. It's not that people don't understand. And Paul says earlier in Romans, if you remember, everybody knows God has made it clear to them in his creation, but we have suppressed the truth. It's not just resistance, it's defiance. And Paul says, we suppress the truth about him in unrighteousness. That's Romans 1.18. The result, Romans 3.9, is that there is no one righteous. No, not one. So what makes a sin sin is not first and foremost that it hurts people. It's that it dishonors God. That's the ultimate outrage. That the infinite, all-glorious creator by whom and through whom and for whom all things were made who gives life and breath to everything is disregarded and disobeyed and dishonored by the people he created. That's what's wrong with the world. That's the cause of all the evil that we all see every day all around us. And we need to understand this. We need to understand this. This is the message of Romans one through three. It's kind of an interesting thing living in our culture today, a culture that doesn't really believe in sin. Like if you ask people, um, are you a sinner? They're probably gonna get mad at you, right? They don't really wanna call anyone a sinner. They don't think anyone's a sinner. But have you noticed in a culture like this, how popular it is and how much so many people enjoy pointing out the sins of other people, especially on social media. Have you noticed this? People who don't really think there's a right or a wrong sure feel free to go out on the internet and post their, what do you, we don't have tweets anymore. I don't know what X's. But they put their social posts up criticizing and critiquing people because they are doing the wrong things. Do you realize that we are only qualified to do this if we first realize and recognize and own the depths of our own sin nature and what our own sin deserves? And otherwise, we are just blinded by self-righteousness. I have a fun question for everybody today. Are you ready? Here's the question. Are you more appalled with your own sin than you are with Donald Trump's or Joe Biden's sin? I'm covering the bases there. See, if you are more appalled by your own sin than theirs, you may not be far from the kingdom of God. And this reality, understanding is so important. If we don't see that sin's the cause, we're gonna try to fix things with all kinds of other solutions and none of them are going to work. And there, I just told you the story of the world in which we live right now, right? See, we need to be people who see our sin so that we marvel about God's grace. And when this happens, we become humble people. We're we're not self-righteous people because we know we've done nothing on our own. We have compassion for other people who don't see what we see because we know we don't see it because we're smarter than other people. We know it's the grace of God alone that allows us to see what we see. And we're people who depend on God. And and all of this just creates this profound gratitude that we of all people can be counted among Jesus' blood-bought family. Do you marvel at that? See, we know what's wrong with the world and we're what's wrong with the world, but praise God. He's so good that he's forgiven us and made us his children. Third question 
What do we do with evil? What does Paul say? Well, how are we to view evil? In Romans 1 through 3, we, we learn that the consequences for our natural sinful condition is the just judgment of God. Paul calls that God's wrath. And, and God's wrath, as we talked about a few months ago now, is not uncontrolled anger. We, we use the word like that. But what it is is his settled and measured opposition and judgment on sin and evil. Romans 1.18, Paul says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Romans 2.5 says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Chapter two, verse eight says, for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury And I know when I talk about words like wrath and fury, there's all kind of different responses out there. But before you dismiss those words, you should let them sink in and have their intended uh, effect. They are here because God wants us to know of these terrible but just realities. His justice and his judgment is coming We don't know when, but it's coming. And we should understand that. We should think more about that. Revelation 14, 10 and 11, the apostle John uses this really graphic imagery to describe the reality of of justice in hell forever. He says, those in sin will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured out full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the lamb, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. And I don't know if that's a literal description or a figure of description. It's really bad however you want to understand it, but it's telling us what it means to reject God, the good God who created us. Some people say, why does it have to go on forever and ever? Well, first of all, because of the gravity of cosmic treason against the holy God. And also from what we can tell unbelievers, their refusal of God, their defiance of God, it never ends If you think people in hell are begging God to let them out, you don't understand. The Bible says people will continue in their rebellion, but God is gonna judge it. He judges all wrong. Nobody's gonna get away with anything. Nothing's gonna get swept under the rug. There aren't gonna be any papers that somebody forgot about back in the back office. God will answer with justice every evil thing that's ever happened and it is coming and it will happen. It will be done in God's timing. And on that day, Paul says in Romans three nineteen, every mouth will be stopped and all the world will be held accountable to God. And friends, on that day, we will all either be found standing in Christ by faith or we will be naked and exposed, standing by ourselves, facing the holy judgment of God. In other words, what this really means when you think about it, evil will not have the last word, and that's good news. And that's Paul's answer to the question, what do we do with evil? He says, evil's gonna be defeated. It's going to be defeated. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't pursue justice now. The Bible never says that, but it helps us reframe our efforts 
to find justice and do justice in the world. And we do that under what God has done for us. So we can go out and do good in the world. We can peacefully protest and run for political office and we can start nonprofits and volunteer to make lives better and help the hurting, you know, and stand up for the poor and the, the marginalized. You know, as, as we do all these things, we share God's good news and we do good. We are undergirded with the reality that evil will not have the last word and one day all wrongs will be made right. And that's a good story. It's a good story because it's a true story. It isn't all up to us. Well, here's the last, here's the last part, or last question. Who am I? What does Paul tell us about what it means to be human? Now, you may remember, it's been a while, but I I told you a major turning point in Romans takes place um, in chapter three, verse 20. And from that point on, the rest of chapter three through chapter four and chapter five, where we studied, um, it's, it's basically a new turn in his argument. And Paul says, now in light of these massive realities that sin is the problem in the world and God's gonna judge sin, he challenges the Romans and says, do you think that following God's commands by following the law is going to make you right with him? And that's where Paul says, no, no one can be justified before God by works. It's all by grace and all by faith. See, we are beings created by God to live in his grace to live in his favor because he has poured out his love on us, not because we have earned it and done enough to deserve it. That's good news. That's a good story. Romans 3.20 again uh, says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight for since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And and you'll remember from verse 21 on for the next couple chapters, Paul is focusing on how we can be made right by God. And he's getting there to the heart of what it means to be a human being made in the image of God. We are made in his image to glorify him and enjoy him forever. And, And this part of the story is telling us this. The most important question that any of us can ever ask is how can I be made right with God? Do you live your life with that question in mind? Living out of the answer to that question? How can I be made right with God in light of my sinful nature, in light of my disposition to always wander? Paul goes on, you know, as we've seen, to show us that God's law, though that it is good, it doesn't save. And we're gonna see more about that as we continue through Romans six and seven. Um, God's law cannot forgive us. It cannot transform us. The purpose of the law is to expose our sin so that we can see it and see how far short we fall uh, from God's perfection. See, why did God give us the law like that? Well, he did it so that we would turn to him We would turn away from our own efforts and we would look to Jesus as our only hope, our only savior, knowing that we all need forgiveness. So the message of Romans uh, three through five is that God sent his son Jesus into the world to live and die and rise so that we might be saved and that we might belong to God. 
Uh, Romans 3, 23 to 25 takes us to the heart of Romans and of the whole Bible, really. Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God uh, and are uh, justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And see, the purpose of this, and this is where we get to understanding who we are, We saw it all the way as kind of a little clue, Romans 1, 6, when Paul first talks about us belonging to God. God does all this so that we can belong to him, so that we can be adopted into his family. He's gonna talk more about this in Romans 7, 4. He's gonna talk more about it in Romans 8. Who are you? If you know Jesus by grace, by faith, then you're God's child. You've been adopted into God's family Jesus has rescued you from the power and penalty of sin and you're freed from slavery to sin once for all. That's what's coming next, Romans 6. And it's a gift of God's grace. And it just tells us something wonderful about God, that God is not just just, but God is gracious and loving. Think about the kind of God that would take rebels like us and give himself so that we could be his children. That was a really good place for an amen, by the way. (laughs) Just letting you know you missed that one. This just tells us God delights to rescue from wrath and make rebels his kids. And there is just no news like this news, the gospel of God, by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. This is, this is the story that we get to live in. It's our story because of, of Jesus. And this is really what it means to be human, to be brought back into relationship with the God who made us and who loves us. Because Paul is telling us in Christ, God is 100% for us in Jesus. And he just wants to drive this point home. And he's been driving it home for five chapters. Good news. He's going to keep driving it home the next few chapters. So come back. We're going to find out more about that. But it is in this, knowing this story that we find the peace we all long for. Some of you, your hearts are so restless and distressed. You want peace. You're only going to find it in Jesus. This is where we find the way to defeat fear. We don't have to be afraid. This is where we find hope when the world is crashing all around us. God has made us righteous in Christ so we can belong to his family. And there is nothing else, friends, on this planet that brings such comprehensive and deep and eternal joy at the deepest levels of our being. Nothing. See, the gospel goes on to create radically different people people who see the story of reality, the true story of the whole world, and they are living that story. That's really what Romans 6 to 8 is about. It makes people who are humble because we know the depths of our sin and the judgment we deserve. We know that we, who we would be apart from Jesus. It makes us courageous because we know that our Father is for us 
And he promises to complete the good work that he's begun in us. It makes us dependent because we know that what we most deeply need is found in him, not in us. It makes us merciful toward others in their need in ways big and small because, again, we know Jesus came for us in our greatest need. And it makes us people of hope because we know that God is faithful always to his promises. And and we live knowing that evil will not have the last word. See, what I hope by the Spirit that the Lord is doing today is putting in front of each of us a a reality that we can see, that we can live into, and that we can live out of. Because the gospel creates a new kind of people a people who are justified by God, called into his family, and now able by God's power, his spirit, to live his story. This is who God has called us to be, Southwinds. This is our story because we are God's people. And so I just wanna ask you as we close to be honest with yourself and to really ask yourself and to look at your life and to think about how you think, to ask, am I truly living out of the story of reality, the one true story? That's where the peace is. That's where the joy is. That's where the hope is. That's where the purpose is. That's where life is. And I hope you are there And if you're not, I hope you will get there and stay there and live there. It's a good place to be. Would you bow your heads as we pray? Father God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that you are the God of kindness and goodness and love. And we love you, God, and we need you. And we ask that you would work in our lives by your spirit, that you would teach us to walk in your ways, God, that you would reveal to us um, ways maybe that we have taken in different stories, competing realities that the world offers to us at the expense of the reality that you offer us. Help us, Father, to see in you the good life Help us to find in you who we truly are. Help us to trust you to right the wrongs of the world. Lord, we pray that you would be the center of our reality and that we would just rejoice that we belong to you and we would live for your glory while we do as much good as we can by the power of your spirit. Lord, we ask all this. in the precious and powerful and good name of Jesus. Jesus, our Lord, Jesus, our Messiah. And all God's people said,